0: Now, for those who haven't uh, attended here over the past few weeks, we've been going through the uh, early parts of Genesis. Now, the first 11 chapters of Genesis is what we're studying at the moment and um, and we're doing this because they are foundational chapters for the rest of Scripture. They are foundational chapters in our understanding of God and so we want to spend this time in in doing that you remember we started in chapter 1 with creation and we saw very clearly there that God is a God of relationship and he created man to have a relationship with him but he also created man to have a relationship with each other and sin came into the world and that, 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 that sin that came in through the disobedience of Adam and Eve broke the relationship that they had with God. And then we saw very quickly that the relationship between man, Adam and Eve's children as they had children, we saw then that that relationship soon broke down and it broke down into murder. Before that happened God had done something very significant that he had made a promise to Adam and Eve, those first human beings, He made them a promise that this would not always be the case, that he was going to send a person to rescue them and he made that covenant with them. But time went on, Adam and Eve had children, Cain and Abel to start off with and uh, and Cain through uh, a lack of relationship with God was rejected by God. Abel, because of his relationship with God, was accepted by God. Now, instead of Cain, whom God give ample opportunity to, instead of Cain coming back to God and saying, I'm sorry, let me start again. Help me to understand that I need to have a relationship with you. Instead of doing that, in anger and jealousy because of the state of his heart he turned from God completely and left the land where his parents were and continued on a road to destruction. We saw chapter 4 spanned quite a number of decades whilst this was happening. When we come to the next section, chapters 5 to 8, Now, whilst this is a large section, it deals very much with this next subject. There are various contexts within it, but very much the one subject. So, man continued to multiply throughout the earth and he grew. You know, isn't it interesting that when we the, 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 the children's books that do you ever have when you sort of read these various things the children's books you used to be read flash to mind do you have that? It must be just a regression thing for me <laughs> and uh, you know as you get older they say that you know you go back to your childhood and uh, but I remember that these things it always showed only a few people maybe a village and uh, but, uh, but we'll have a look at that and see that it wasn't completely the case could you please turn open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 5 and you'll be able to follow there because of the, the amount of it. We're not going to read the whole thing, but we will refer at various times to those things. <clears throat> One of the things that God does for us at different parts of Scripture is he shows us a lineage to show connection, to show that promises of the past are brought through to the future. He shows us the way that he continued his spirit through people and here he gives us the godly line. Now, Shem it's, it was not the only child of, of uh, Adam, and, Adam and Eve but it shows here we have, not Shem, sorry, Seth, Seth, Anyway, I've got to be careful. I've got a nephew called Seth, and they might listen to this, so I'm not going to make any jokes. But we see here that Adam had a son called Seth, who had a son called Enosh, who had a son called Kenan, who had a son called Mahalalel, who had a son called Jared, who had a son called Enoch, who had a son called Methuselah, who had a son called Lamech, who had a son called Noah. And so, God gives us here the evidence of his line that came through. We can call it the godly line of this promise that was given to Mary, uh, to Eve when he said that there will come a person and he will deal with sin. Satan will bruise his heel but he will crush Satan's head and then we see all the way through as we know into the New Testament times and the very reason why we sit here in relationship with God was the one that we've talked about this morning who had his heel bruised, yes. And in fact he hung on a cross for us but he rose again on the third day. But in doing that he crushed Satan's head he made the work of Satan null and void for eternity so God gave us this record of of the godly line from Adam through to Noah and he gives it to us for a record for establishment for proof it wasn't the only children in fact there were lots more but this was the line and he gives it to us. We go into chapter 6. Now, this is a, uh, a, a pretty interesting chapter, a few verses. Chris, could you just get up and explain all these to us? You were laughing at me. No, oh, yeah, yeah, my interpretation. You know, if Chris says he doesn't understand these few verses... Does it affect his salvation? I wasn't sure whether you were just nodding off then. Can you tell me, if Chris doesn't, affect, doesn't understand these few verses, does it affect his salvation? No. Absolutely not. There are some very difficult sections in Scripture and lots of reasons that they're difficult. And One of the reasons is that a lot of the words that are sometimes used are no longer used. Some of the words that were used there's no record of for the future and so we have to look at context. We have to look at what else was said at different times that may help us to understand it and that's what we have to do. But I can tell you of these difficult things and it was said of Paul, oh he writes some hard things at times and hard to understand and that was the New Testament. That was well after this but we'll look at it in a very simple way that I think we can explain it very easily. Man increased in number through this time and there were many people who lived at this time. An article in the Science Newsletter of May 1980 stated that it was not unreasonable to estimate that during this time an average family would have six children, an average generation maybe 100 years, so it's longer than what we would say now and based on these figures at the time of the flood there would have been as many as 235 million people. Now, that's a conservative estimate because there are others that say if the calculations taken at 40 years for a generation with four people per household would put the population at over a billion. Now, I'm not concerned about any of that. All I wanted to say in that was we're not talking about a village. We're talking about a substantial number of people that were on the earth at the time. And man increased in number on the earth and the daughters born, were born to them. The sons of God saw that the daughters of men were beautiful and they married any of them they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit will not contend with man forever for he is mortal. His days will be 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterwards when the Son of Man went to the daughters of men and had children by them. They were the heroes of old, men of renown. Okay, let's look at this. There were many people who were born on the earth and sin had reigned supreme in their hearts. There was the godly lion of Shem and you could imagine that Adam who knew things from the beginning and understood God had tried as a father to continue to press home the fact that God wanted a relationship with them. I had tried to bring a graphic uh, but I simply couldn't make it work (laughs) bring a graphic that showed the lineage from Adam through to Noah. And Adam was alive right through to Noah's father Lamech. And so Adam would have had an influence on all of those people. To see the man that God created to hear the one who was there in the garden share of the things that he did wrong and to share of the time of Cain and Abel and how when sin reigns that God even then is patient with his children. As he said to Cain, why are you angry? Don't let sin take you. You know, when Cain sinned and his offering was was rejected, what did God say? Get out of my sight. No, he said, sin's waiting, crouching at the door, wanting you. Don't let it, Cain. Come back to me. The patience of God. But it was Cain's choice to go the other way. And I'm sure there were many stories that Adam told all the way through to Lamech this godly line now there are many good people throughout history who have given interesting interpretation of this some have said that the sons of god were angels who came from heaven and had intercourse with women of the earth and so they've produced a, a giants of people, so the Nephilim. There are others who have said that the sons of God were the line of Seth, this godly line of people who turned from the ways of God and had intercourse with the ungodly line of Cain. There were others who have said that the Um, the sons of God were the rulers and the kings and the nobles of the time and so therefore called that. So, how do we push our way through this? I think the simple answer for me and this is just for me that it is not possible to say that they were angels that had intercourse with women for this reason. First of all that if they, there was no, nothing in the scripture of a second rebellion and it would have to have been a rebellion because they would not have been obedient to God if that had happened. If it was the angels that had fallen in the first instance with Satan, they were not called sons of God at that time, they were demons. They were no longer sons of God. The other thing is, that if we go through to Matthew and Mark when Jesus was questioned about the future in heaven his reply was this, for in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage but are as angels of God in heaven. So, he says that angels are not capable of that and neither shall the future be in heaven. So, I don't think there's any need to go down that line and also the offspring, these men of renown. The word men there is not of some creature that is partly human and partly heavenly. It is the same word as natural man and we'll get to that in a minute. I don't think there's any need to think that these people were uh, the, the sons of God were the rulers and the kings of, or, or at the time either because whilst they may have been rulers at the time there was no reason to call them sons of God. The only real for me and I stress that, for me in the context of this is to say that they were of the godly line of Seth and for this reason that the sons of God is referred to at other points of scripture of those who follow God, of simply those that follow God and today as we sit here for those who have accepted Christ as Saviour, the New Testament tells us very clearly that he's brought us into a relationship with him and that relationship is that of Absolutely, sons and daughters of God. So I think, in the context of overall of Scripture, and with the lack of any other evidence to say to the contrary, that that is the most likely sequence of events. that the sons of God, that godly lion of Seth, those ones that knew better, those ones that were living lives according to his relationship with God were tempted, filled with lust, broke down the relationship that God wanted not only with himself but with each other and they left and they married people who did not have the same heart for God that they did and one of the problems with that and we see it very regularly is that very seldom do people and it does happen but very seldom do people come from the ungodly line people who don't know Christ as Saviour seldom does it come the other way more often than not people who are godly turn the other way because it's just easier now, it doesn't, not to say that it doesn't happen that way, but the New Testament also says, don't be unequally yoked. Don't be unequally yoked. God says that the heart of man was wicked, that there was violence all the time, that man was on a slippery slope to destruction. God created man to love between man and woman, one man, one woman. And it seems in the writing of this that the context is also that as man, these these men looked at women, they took not only whoever they want but how many they wanted. And so it broke down constantly the ideals of God. And then it says, my spirit will not contend with them with man forever for he is mortal and his days will be 120 years quite probably quite probably we go from one context here of the line of adam to noah in chapter 5 where noah was 500 years old and then at 600 years old at the time of the flood we go to another context not necessarily following on but chapter 6 could very well have come in just before the end of chapter 5 saying that when man began to increase in number on the earth. So, quite probably that from when this was happening in God's eyes, he said, in 120 years this will be the end of this generation of people. Now, the Nephilim were on the earth in those days and were also afterward when the sons of God went into the daughters of men. You can see there that it doesn't say the Nephilim were necessarily related to this whole point of when the sons of God went into the daughters of men. People sometimes read this as saying the Nephilim were the progeny of that but that's not what it reads. It's not what it reads at all. It says the Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterward when the sons of God went to the daughters of men and had children by them. They, meaning the Nephilim, were the heroes of old, men of renown. Men as in human being. Nephilim is also translated, it's an unusual word apparently. I'm not a Hebrew scholar at all but it, I understand it's a very unusual word and it, it's translated in, and quite possibly in some of your translation here is Giants. Now, the interesting thing about where that is also translated is not giants in stature but also what it says here, heroes of old, men of renown. Okay, so not so much giants in stature but the giants as in wonderful, strong, powerful, mighty is the translation. It may also mean heroes or fierce warriors. And from the evidence that's given, it's not proper to suggest that the word refers to a race of humans, superhumans or giants. The word mighty in this context refers to their abilities, not to their size or outward appearance. Do you remember when Joshua and Caleb went into the land and they came out with a very different story, didn't they, Joshua and Caleb, to all the others that went in. Now, what did the others see? Can you remember? Oh, giants. giants in the land. What did Joshua and Caleb see? A gland flowing with milk, flowing with milk and honey. So, how, how do we connect that? to Well, that, that is the same word that's used That those who went in there saw giants. Their eyes saw a people who were mighty warriors. Their hearts trembled before the people that they saw. People that we couldn't come in. We're only a ragtag army. Look at them. These guys are giants compared to us. We're just grasshoppers. Isn't that what they said? But those who weren't concerned about those, which was Caleb and Joshua, they didn't see that at all. They came in and they saw what God had promised them and they weren't concerned about those other people, the so-called giants, because they weren't 35 foot tall. They were just people that God was going to deal with. The other people had probably heard all the stories about them. Man, those guys from over there, they are amazing. They can do all of this and they go into a land and they wield their sword and ten people die immediately and the rest of us die of heart attacks. You see, it was men of renown, not people who were huge but men of renown, men who who were talked about, men who who travelled through the area frightening all of those who went before them. And the Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become and he couldn't cope with it any time, any longer. Relationships between man and God had broken down. Relationships between man and man had broken down. The marriage relationship had broken down and violence was on the earth all the time and at this point how many people still believed and had a relationship with God? Tell me. Can you imagine that? When it says that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, the first time grace is actually used in scripture, unmerited favour. And God looked down in amongst this violent, immoral, lustful society and there as a beacon of hope was Noah. Now, does that mean Noah was perfect? Not at all. In fact, when we look at so many of the heroes of the faith of of Hebrews chapter 11, we can see the scriptures often tell us of their failures as well as their victories to show us that You know, we know that we don't win all the time. We know that our hearts are not always doing the right thing and we know that we struggle in our relationship with God in a world that is just so evil. How must it have been for Noah when he was the only one? It's hard enough, isn't it, when we're the only person within an an organisation of work It's hard enough then when we're the only person in a family who believes in God. Could you imagine being the only family in the whole of the earth of millions of people who believed in God? You can't imagine it, can you? But God said, Noah, I've had enough. I want you to build me an ark. Who's heard that Bill Cosby tape on Noah building the ark have you heard that there's a few hands up and I often when God says build me an ark yes Lord what's an ark (laughs) you know it's funny but it's true and the point is it had not rained but when he said build this ark you know he didn't say build a boat it's a very different word. Ark simply means a chest for safekeeping. That's what the word apparently means, a chest for safekeeping. You see, this ark didn't need to have sails on the top. It didn't, wasn't run with steam and a propeller or paddles on the side or anything. It was just basically a huge box that was built to perfect dimensions and the Dutch who have been sailors forever still use these dimensions. Because they are said they are the perfect dimensions. You know, yesterday evening, I was down at Tootgaruk and I uh, walked out into the sea. Because you know, down at Tootgaruk, you do you've got to do a lot of walk, walking before you do any swimming. And it's great for exercise. And uh, so I walked. And one of the blessings as I've got older, I've I've been able to develop this safety belt. <laughs> and 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 I lay back in those waters and I float. It was just beautiful. The waters are so peaceful and calming. And I laid back there. And my arms out, and my toes sticking out, my nose sticking out, and my belly button sticking out, and I just relax and I find it amazing. Now, the ark was needed because it was a time of judgment, and they were not the waters like I laid in then of peace, vitality of the presence of God. These waters were there as a judgment of God on a sinful world that he could no longer put up with. And he gave Noah the job of building this ark and he said, I want you to build this ark in these dimensions, so I want you to cover it inside and out with pitch, because the rain's going to come, and we're going to flood the earth. And the scriptures tell us that Noah did all that God asked. Noah did all that God asked. In one of the science magazines once again the calculations of the ark were put out into square footage or meterage and the guy said it's about the same size of 10 trains of 52 cattle carriages, boxcars. So a very, very significant amount. And they then calculated all of the various kinds of animals and then took them as younger animals, weaned off their mothers but younger animals and they said though all of those animals would only fill half that area. So all of the different kinds and taking them as young animals would only fill half the area. And God was instructed to put then the food in for all of those animals. But I can tell you now that I also believe that there would have been room in that ark for any who called on the name of the Lord in those days. You see, as Noah built that ark, what an incredible testimony to all of the people who walked past and saw. What are you doing, Noah? I'm building an ark. What's an ark? What an opening. You know, Evan shared before about an opening that was made possible through conversation and he took the opportunity to be able to share the goodness of God with that person because of that opening. Do you think Noah was any different? I think God allowed Noah to, or asked Noah to build the ark so that it would give lots of time for people to be able to repent. We have a patient God. He could have dealt with man and its sin and saved Noah and his family in a myriad of different ways, but He chose one of the slowest. one family building an enormous ark and as people saw it, even these people of renown could look on it and say, wow, if God's going to do that, maybe I need to change the way I live. But none did and the rains came, the animals went in, Noah and his family went in and the floodwaters came and all who were outside that ark perished. You know, folks, we can say what a horrific judgment but I think we need to look at it from a different perspective and say what a patient God that he would wait for all of that time for man to turn from his wicked ways because I can guarantee that you and I wouldn't have waited that long. You know why I think he did it then? Because there was, it was down to one family and God's promises were to be fulfilled. There came in the future a greater ark than what Noah built and that ark was Christ and through him today we find salvation. That ark or that chest of safekeeping Or Any person on that earth could have come to the Lord and said, I need to be on that ark. I need to get back into relationship with you. And we have that exact same opportunity today. There came a time when God put up with it no longer and he will do that again. And I don't know whether that's going to be this afternoon or in 10 years or 50 years. We don't know. But are you outside the ark? Do you have a desire to be inside the ark? God gives us all of these examples to show us his patience but his patience has a time. Christ today is that ark and he just wants us, just desires us to come to him and say, Lord I've walked my own way long enough. I need today to come to you and receive my salvation for you to restore in me the relationship between me and you because I can't do it. And that's the moment that we step into that ark which is Jesus, the place of safe keeping. And you know, when everything was finished, At the end of chapter 8 Noah brought out the animals that were for sacrifice and sacrificed them to God. Jesus was that sacrifice for us. Jesus. Would you accept Jesus today as your personal saviour and come to him as the ark that is for your rescue and for mine. Let me pray. Father, I want to thank you for these incredible chapters that talk of your goodness and your patience and your mercy and your grace. But they also show us of a God who will not tolerate sin for eternity. There has already been that judgement and you showed it again again when you couldn't tolerate what was happening in Sodom and Gomorrah, when Lot and his family were taken out and you destroyed them. And there's a time coming where you won't put up with it any longer and you'll take us to be with you and the earth will be destroyed. And I thank you for that. For those who have a heart for God, it is getting harder and harder to live in a sinful world. And Father, we look to you for rescue. But I also ask, I also ask for your patience for those who haven't yet received you as Lord and Saviour. Bless us as we leave here and keep our our hearts praising you. In Jesus' name I pray, Amen.